Hey there! We're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and an analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, guys, we are just a couple weeks away from the NFL draft. Uh, we are in deep preparations with our boys over at Winning Cures Everything for our annual live stream. Uh, we will have more information on that as soon as we have it uh, on our website, westlawpirates.com, um, on Twitter, Facebook, all of those other notes and news. Um, definitely looking forward to that. It's always a good time. And uh, th- this year could be a real special for uh, Northwestern fans. Um also, you know, speaking of the draft and, you know, special times for Northwestern, we've got a really special guest uh, coming on tonight. Uh, the author of Champion Underdog, Tim Chapman, uh, wrote an amazing book about the 1995 Rose Bowl season for Northwestern. Uh, we've got him coming on here in just a sec. Uh, definitely looking forward to talking with him about his process, about the 95 team, about the book, and, you know, maybe how maybe some relations to you know this current team and draft prospects then and now and uh should be a good time yeah tim's someone who you know if if you are part of the northwestern community you've been following him on rivals probably for a while um as kind of you know louis vacares right hand man um doing so much of the great writing on there and and you know probably just as excited about this book as i am so yeah we've this is uh, i guess we've wanted to have for a while and we're super stoked well, we are extremely thrilled to be joined tonight by Tim Chapman, uh, the author of Champion Underdog, The Improbable Success of the 1995 Northwestern Football Team. Fantastic book that uh, came out this past year chronicling the the 95 The Rose Bowl season. Um, and we f- needed to have you on, Tim, uh, to, to talk about this book, to talk about uh, that 95 team and, and kind of the the third the through lines between then and now and kind of where things go so thanks for coming on with us tonight really appreciate it i've been looking forward to it boys and uh, and thank you for what you do for the northwestern community i love the podcast so it's it's really a surreal honor to to be a part of it now well now, now you're just flattering us i mean <laughs> <laughs> that's okay but keep, but keep it coming keep coming that's awesome um no but you know tell us a little bit about your background and you know what brought you you know, how did you become a Northwestern fan? What led you to write this book in the first place? Okay, so um, I I live out in Michigan, and first oh, thing, no. let me oh, say, no. oh no, 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 let me let me clarify. <laughs> I am probably the most anti U of M person in the world. So, um, so back in '95, you know, I, I used to be a Penn State fan, and you know, obviously before all the fallout happened, but. In that 95 season, when when things really started full steam ahead for Northwestern, I was one of those fanatics, as I'm sure most sports fans are, where if if my team didn't play well or if there was a loss, I needed 12, sometimes 24 hours to just be left alone and regroup and kind of process. And at that point in the season in November, when Penn State really was not playing for much other than maybe a share of the Big Ten title and Northwestern was certainly playing for a lot more. I started to feel myself like under the surface thinking I'll be okay if Northwestern beats my team. And sure enough, they did. And they did it in convincing fashion. And so when when Darnell Autry led powerful Northwestern past Penn State. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And so, I mean, quite literally, this team, that season is what made me a Northwestern fan. So fast forward to 2011 when all that uh, negative stuff went down in Happy Valley and Paterno was let go. I just couldn't associate myself with that program anymore. And so immediately I thought, who am I going to attach to? Who can I put my my passion towards? And Northwestern was an easy choice because they've always stood for doing things the right way and and grinding. And, and I've always appreciated that underdog mentality of people being overlooked and working that much harder to show up the people who, quote unquote, might be more talented on paper. And, and so, I mean, the rest is history. And so, um, you know, getting back to the book, I always thought it would be cool to kind of chronicle the season just for my own pleasures and purposes to kind of look back. But I, I really had no intention of other than keeping it on a hard drive and reading through it. And more and more people, as I was doing this, were saying, well, why don't you try and publish it? And I was somewhat naive at the time, thinking that, uh, you know, you had to know X, Y, and Z people in order to publish a book. And fortunately, now in today's digital world, it is a little bit easier to get your ideas out there. Uh, you have to do the groundwork and, and there's a little bit of investment involved. But uh, as I got more involved with the Northwestern community and starting to write for uh, Wildcat Report and, and teamed up with Louis Becaire, who's a, a great friend, a great mentor, uh, started to connect with some of the people from that season, from that team, and it kind of just snowballed. And, and here we are. I was able to publish it in December and I've uh, been very pleased with the turnout so far. Well, I, he might get mad at me for saying this, but I think we probably owe you a copy of John's uh, Winter Games <laughs> that, that he self-published many years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's an awesome that's an awesome story, and it's 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 wild. I had no idea that you weren't a Northwestern guy like from the get-go. Yeah, um, but you've I mean you've become a critical voice or a, a, and, a, and a very very well-known voice in the Northwestern community, not just with the book, but with with all the work on Wildcat Report and with Louie, and that's. That's that's really wild that it, that it that it did not start that way. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, it's funny you say that and talking about like learning the things about the process, right? The book process and oh, like who do you have to know and who do you have? Well, I mean, like who you have to know is the Northwestern Army, right? I mean, it's like yeah. these because the the format of your book. I mean, and this is just for everyone who wants to know. I mean, it's like. To, to break the format of your book down simply, it's basically like the 95 Rose Bowl season chopped up into a nice, neat line that we can all snort as quickly as possible. <laughs> like that's, that's basically what's going on here. It's like for everyone, for all of you out there, if you just want, you just want that high, you're like, all right, I need to just revisit all the key points from this season. And, and this is, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, before we had you on about the format of the book, all the key players too, and the juxtaposition of the two in into this package that is just so easy to to digest and to get into. I think we're we we love the format for again just this straight up dopamine hit that this book provides to any Northwestern fan, um, but also and this goes to I think some of the themes that we want to cover, but also the the kind of NFL draft you know preview portion of this pod that we want to get into because I think the this book is such and and, and all the writing that you've done is such fertile ground to kind of get into some real then and now stuff and look at kind of the program from a historical perspective but also 
um, the the draft from historical perspective. And I think a, a place that I think we were really interested to start, um, and this is something that we were all talking about today, is, uh, again, I alluded to you have all these great player profiles um, that are mixed in here. And the stories in some of these player profiles are amazing. And one of the things that, that we were just kind of talking about, and this is the kind of thing where it's like, you know some of these things, but then you have it presented to you um, in such a clear way, was the the section with Darnell Autry, yeah. where Autry is talking about that he almost transferred out. And I mean, almost is kind of short selling it. Like he had one foot out the door and that's, you know, I, we're not really like saying, you know, we're not, we're almost paraphrasing your sources from within the book, you know, talking to you. And, you know, we're really curious to kind of get your perspective talking about that because there's this whole issue right now. I mean, literally as we're speaking, right, these transfer rules are going through and NCAA transfer rules are going through. Um, and on one hand, you could look at all that and say, well, in the landscape back then, Darnell Autry is gone. Like yeah. he's just, he's just gone immediately. But that's kind of, you know, that also strikes us as an oversimplification because the world and the landscape and the Northwestern football program that Darnell Autry was a part of at that point in time was so completely removed from today's program that, I mean, it's apples to oranges, but again, you wrote on it, um, and we are just so kind of curious to to hear your perspective on that entire story. Yeah, so I think had the transfer portal been existent at that time, this would have been this would have probably looked like a much different team. It wasn't just Autry, but you know Steve Schnurr is another one who was almost out the door. And there's a bit in there where walk on Matt Stewart, who also wrote a great book, which was uh, a, a big source of influence and resource for, for my own book. Uh, it's called The Walk-On, but there's a story in there where uh, Schnur is is taking a drive and, and Stewart says, uh, hey, can I hitch with you? And Stewart basically talks Steve Schnur out of quitting football and 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 leaving the program. And, and obviously Schnur was an integral part, but getting back to Autry, yeah, he goes back to Arizona and his dad finds out and says, you're not going to end it this way. You know, you you made a commitment. You're you're certainly not going to just leave and, and leave him hanging. Um, you know, you need to go back. And, and essentially, he said, if you don't go back for this next semester, you're not going to have a place to live. And Autry kind of said that's where it really hit him. And he went back for, you know, spring workouts kind of begrudgingly. And, and it was surprising because of the fact that he had ended 94 on such a high note with, I think, 178 yards against Penn State, who was ranked number two in the country at that time, a juggernaut of a team going to the Rose Bowl. And fortunately, I mean, the rest is history. Autry stuck it out. And I think stories like that helped this team to gel because there was a lot of that adversity that individually they had to face, but also collectively as a team. But it also speaks to the senior leadership of guys like Rob Johnson, and, you know, other, you know, key seniors on that team, Danny Sutter, uh, you know, just the gel that held it all together. And, um, you know, again, I think you look at some of those key positions, Autry might be gone if there was a transfer portal at that point. Schnur might have been gone. And who knows if he's still playing football. Um, you know, a, a lot of those those kind of situations. And, um, yeah, I 
it, it was it was wild the way that that happened because you know most people outside of Northwestern circles, they look at it and they say, I mean, and they still have to go back and say, oh yeah, Autry was a uh, fourth in the Heisman voting. He must've been a stud from the beginning. And, and here he was almost going and going back to the Pac-10 back in those days. You know, he was most likely going to be an Arizona State Sun Devil in, uh, in 95 if, if his dad and if others had let him walk off. The, the others piece is something that really stood out uh, to, to me because, you know, we recently spoke with Jordan Ash and had you know dug in quite a bit to, to the podcast that he had had with um, Isaiah Brown and Barrett Benson talking about you know transferring, um, and you know something that struck us from their conversation with each other was talking about how hard it was to tell their teammates and like to actually make that decision to transfer. And it's interesting reading your recounting, or or you know I, I, obviously the guys that were recounting this to you about how hard they were trying to convince him to stay, you know, yeah. whether it's, uh, Hadefa Ishmaeli, you know, hugging him as soon as he sees him on campus after right. the first departure and other guys, you know, I don't want to say begging, but like really trying to convince him to be a part of, of, of what was being built at Northwestern. It's just, it, it, it dovetailed in, in, in a way in my mind, like just that camaraderie and how important that is in any, any team sport. Right. Yeah. Um, but interesting to see it working in almost opposite ways in, in, you know, these, these two examples. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, you, you speak of Ismaili, he was another one who in that, in the preseason workouts in the summer workouts, they were lifting and Rob Johnson and Steve Schnur noticed that he wasn't there. And so they said, we'll be right back. They hightailed over to his apartment um, and, according to Johnson, literally got him out of bed, brought him to workouts because of the fact that, you know, they needed buy-in from every single player, whether you were a fifth-year senior or whether you were a redshirt freshman like Ismaili was. Uh, you know, it was everybody had their own integral part. And, and yet, yeah, like you spoke of, it was Autry that they had to convince. It was, you know, other guys with maybe minute roles, but in the grand scheme of things, it was it was that collective chemistry. And that's a testament to what Gary Barnett brought in and, and got them to um, capture the essence, as he said. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting uh, going into you know the, the early days of Barnett and how that culture shifted and, you know, how getting rid of some of the older players, like having the guys who are just used to losing and seem to be okay with it, graduating them out and getting real, real buy-in from, from the younger guys, how yeah. big of a culture shift that was and which opened things up for the, for the magic of that season. Yeah. And, you know, at that time in Barnett's uh, point at Northwestern, it was a risky maneuver to to turn it over to some of the younger players that he had recruited, which I think is easier to do in today's college football landscape. But at that time, given the the uh, or the the historical woes that Northwestern football had experienced, to make that shift at that point, especially I mean that was still at a time when you were pretty much three or four years, and and then you're either re-signed or you're moved on, and. Um, you know, it worked out in Barnett's favor, but it, it spoke volumes. And there was actually one of the upperclassmen at the end of the 94 season who came into Barnett's office and he was moving on after that season and said, you know, coach, next year you're going to have it and, and you're going to be 
you know, you're you're going to be glad that the the guys who didn't buy in are going to be gone. I mean, this is this is the way to do it, and I know it was tough, but um, you guys are really onto something. And you know, it was uh, it was tough to hear, but at the same time, it was it was something that needed to be done. And uh, obviously, in hindsight, Barnett looks back, and and it was it was good, but uh, on the same token, it's certainly a risky maneuver. At a, at a place like Northwestern where you're, you don't have the luxury of, you know, what they would dub today as four and five star talent. It's amazing to, to think about all that and think about that culture shift and to, it's, it's, it's so wild to, to, again, to read this book, but to grapple with these, these two things, right. Whereby Barnett comes in and the culture shift can at once be so completely removed from the culture that existed for decades prior to that moment. And at the same time, be so removed from the culture that exists today. Yeah. And it, it's, it's amazing to, to try to juxtapose those two things. I mean, Hudefa Ismaili being an example, right? I mean, this is someone who the entire time he was at Northwestern, he was one of the best football players and he was one of the best athletes on the team the entire time he was there. And the idea to fast forward to today and imagine any of the top football players at Northwestern uh, having to leave the school for academic reasons is you just can't you just it's not that you can't imagine it. It is just so far removed from the current thing. And again, that's not so much about Ismaili. That was just so much more the norm, not only in college football, but specifically at Northwestern. You know, back then, it's like the idea is, well, it's a challenging school. Not everyone's going to be able to handle the workload, et cetera. And it's and then you stop and think, you know, we, we've had Jacob Schmidt on the pod before, who, of course, was recently promoted. And, you know, talking with him, you know, this is this is years ago about this the movement and this intricate set of building blocks that has gone into building this entire environment. I mean, everyone thinks of the Fitzcarlton on the lake, but it's this entire support system and athlete, you know, preparation. Um, and and just the idea that that, you know, preparing these guys, look, it's going to be the NFL or you're going to be prepared for for the rest of your life. Um, interesting you know, to hear you talking about Autry and, you know, you make it clear that Autry knew from the beginning that, I mean, again, he visited several schools, but when he was sold on Northwestern, the theater program was one of the things that sold him from the beginning. Um, And the idea that someone, a football player could be so focused way back then and yet still kind of have some issues with feeling like he was a little bit adrift, um, feeling like he was a little bit adrift after, um, you know, he, he left for the NFL and it didn't subsequently work out exactly the way that he wanted it to. Um, it just seems so hard to envision that that kind of thing could even happen today. Right. Right. Tim, I'm curious if, you know, obviously we've talked about, uh, Ishmaeli, we've talked about, um, Schnur a little bit, and Autry, I'm curious if there were any, like, as you were doing your research, as you were having these conversations, any any stories or anecdotes or moments that really stood out to you, something 
something that either was, you know, totally unexpected or just so different from what, from what you had anticipated going in? Yeah, well, the the chapter on Ismaili was one of my favorite ones to compile just because of where he came from and, you know, according to him, what a culture shock it was and, and how a lot of his uh, family and friends out in Pennsylvania were kind of wondering, you know, why not go to Pitt? Why not go to Penn State? Um, you know, why go out to Northwestern? And you know, Ismaili, to his credit, was always looking to challenge himself. And I mean, it's documented in there that some of the obstacles and the struggles that he faced and how he overcame them, not just during his time at Northwestern, but when he had to come back and finish his degree there. So that that kind of stood out. Um, and, you know, he talks also about the, the real issue of, you know, being a in a great minority as a, an African-American athlete in a town like Evanston, where, you know, he said it was basically, he was, uh, you know, to quote it whitewashed and it was kind of quite the culture shock, but you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at that and say, um, that it was, it was something that was insurmountable. And I think that speaks to the culture that was established by Barnett. And he kind of, got that indoctrinated with coach McCartney out in Colorado when they were looking to, um, you know, kind of blend cultures more so progressively than, than other programs were at that time. The other uh, kind of a funny anecdote that always stands out to me is the story of Tim Scharf at Camp Kenosha when after the first day, so they were doing three days and they're at their dinner meal on the first night and he's got this big plate of shrimp and he starts eating it and he starts to get hives and he starts to swell up a little bit. And Brian Musso sitting right next to him and he says, Sharf, aren't you allergic to shrimp? And Sharf looks at him and says, yep. And so that was what he felt he had to do to just try and get out of uh, the, the grind of Kenosha the next day. And um, I mean, that was one of the most common threads is people. They Autry, love- Autry mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they had something called Kenosha face. And then there was another story where uh, redshirt freshman Chris Leader escapes at night, hails a cab home to Rockford, Michigan, which is on the western side of the state. So maybe about three and a half, four hour drive from uh, that part in Wisconsin. And his dad says, what are you doing? You're not going to quit like this, similar to what uh, Darnell's dad did. So brought him back that next morning, pretty much in the middle of the night next morning, and a leader has to face his team and his coaches admitting that he tried running away. And, he, and you know, to his credit, he stuck it with it, and, and it paid off for him in the, the joys of that 95 season. But those were a couple that, that really stood out. Um, and then, you know, the last one that, that I always like to think of is the, you know, just the, the trials that Steve Schnur went through and, and how he was just continually discounted by some of his coaches and, you know, the, the fans and some of the media. And, um, you know, he comes home after spring practice one day, just really uh, distraught and takes one of his shoes and um, chucks it across the room. And his teammate, Darren Drexler, looks at him and says, what'd you do that for? And he says, um, you know, I had a bad day. And he says, I don't think it's the shoes that was the fault of that. So, um, <laughs> you know, just kind of giving him grief. And then Schnur even jokes and he says, and he wonders why I never threw it to him as much as he wanted. So, um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of humor mixed in with that. But uh, the the gravity of how real the situation was for a lot of these players who were afterthoughts among other Big Ten schools and, 
you know, just the, the joy of sticking it in their faces, not only in 95, but in 96 as well, when they repeated as Big Ten champs. So, I mean, all that collectively was made it just an, an absolute pleasure to, to work on this book and to, to get it done. How much time did you spend researching, interviewing, going, like putting this whole thing together? I mean, like this, this is no small feat, you know, the, the sheer number of different people you spoke with. Uh, yeah, to to put this book together is just amazing. Yeah, so uh, you know, I'm I'm a teacher by trade, and then also a football coach, and then a writer. So I'm a glutton for punishment, and so in my quote unquote spare time, I would I would hammer away at it. But honestly, it only took about two and a half years, and I say only, and that was working in pockets because yeah, kind of looking back, um, I realized that it was quite the undertaking, but. Obviously, it was a labor of love, and, and I was just really impressed with how willing so many people were uh, at, at wanting to help with this and contributing in some part. Um, you know, and it wasn't just Northwestern players and coaches. Uh, Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network was a big help, and and he was the one who actually suggested because I was wanting to publish it about a year prior, but he says you might want to wait until the 2020 season because that'll be the 25-year anniversary. And obviously, we had no idea that COVID was going to throw a wrinkle into this, but um, it actually kind of worked out as a, a blessing in disguise because um, it, it worked out to where at the tail end of that and they, you know, Big Ten West title again, uh, it, it dovetailed and, and it worked out in, in a lot of my favor and, and Northwestern's favor as well. So yeah, about two and a half years. And I'm, I'm assuming you, you watched the Expect Victory series on Big Ten Network. And oh yeah, how did you? Did part of you th think like, oh man, they're stepping on my stuff here? Or how, how did the how did kind of those two things uh, work in conjunction with each other? You know, I mean, selfishly, I enjoyed it, and and they do an outstanding job at the Northwestern Video Department. So. Uh, I don't think they, I mean, I know that they've won all kinds of awards, but I still don't think nationally they get the credit that they deserve. So I, I enjoyed it as a fan. Um, and, and this story has been told before by Gary Barnett, by Matt Stewart. Uh, there's been, I, I think I own all the pieces of literature on this story, just because that's how important it is to me. But, um, you know, everybody's got their own angle and everybody does it, I think, for unselfish reasons, because they just want to highlight the greatness that is the Northwestern community and the Northwestern program, not just in 95, but historically and and the great things that uh, Fitzy's done today. So uh, in no way was I, you know, thinking it was a missed opportunity. Uh, I, I kind of thought it was helpful, actually, because it was resurfaced to a lot of the minds of Northwestern people. And so then with the book coming out, uh, those who want to read it in print now have that opportunity as well as being able to, to see the, the great visual production that that team did. Yeah. Northwestern fans, we're not exactly the community. We're like, no, I want, I want a video series on this, but not a book on this. I've right. reached a, <laughs> I've reached a cap for how much I want to learn and talk about the 95 Rose Bowl. No, right. uh, yeah, we'll pretty much take as as much a much of that cocaine as you shovel in front of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one of the things that um, you know, again, we want to talk about um, with you because of you know the draft is coming up and and you know getting this interesting kind of perspective is specifically looking at those Rose Bowl years from the perspective of the NFL draft and then kind of juxtaposing that with 
you know, the draft that we're heading into right now. And, you know, it's funny, you can look at a list of all the Northwestern players who were drafted in the years prior to that. And, um, you know, sure, you have a name like Chris Hinton will jump out to you, et cetera. But you can look at that whole stretch, you know, in the 80s, early 90s. And then you stop and realize you're seeing a lot of round 12, round 9, round 10, all these rounds that no longer exist and realizing right. in a seven round draft format, these are all guys who just don't get drafted They, you know, they sign as free agents if they're lucky. Um, I'm curious. And then, and then you arrive at this position, right? Where suddenly you have these teams and, and, you know, we talked about it with Jay Sharman way back at the beginning of the season where you watch that Notre Dame tape, um, Northwestern versus Notre Dame, you're struck at the sheer amount of talent Notre Dame. I mean, Northwestern has on the field. Like Northwestern is just the more talented team. And I'm curious to hear on one hand, you know, you look at the 97, 98 and 99 teams and you can be like, okay, look, eight guys off those teams were drafted round. You know, there's rounds two through seven. There was a cat drafted in every one of those rounds over those years um, and say, okay, so clearly that's a testament to the athleticism. But in your opinion, um, was was there a lot of underdrafting or or guys not even being drafted? Like, in other words, as good as this team was and as good as some of these athletes were, do you feel that the NFL at that point had caught up with what Northwestern football was and what what being that successful of a Wildcat meant relative to a pro career? Yeah, no, I— I, 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 I've always felt that Northwestern athletes, football athletes, have gotten shorted when it comes to being looked at at the next level. And a lot of it is just the measurables don't measure up to the others around them. And that's, to me, the allure of a Northwestern program is because of the fact that they put it together on the field. And it's it's sad, in my in my personal opinion, that the heart and the, the team chemistry and the the contributing factors that make towards a successful team don't translate into the NFL. So, I mean, you look at high school to college and Fitz's staff has done a great job of this. They're looking for guys who have won championships, who are winners, and that's going to translate into success on the college field. Whereas in the, in the pro game, it's all about, you know, what have you done for me lately? It's about how fast you can run. It's about, uh, what I see from you on tape uh, on a consistent basis against top flight talent. And with uh, because of factors out of their reach and out of their control, Northwestern football players, I think, have not shown enough to those quote unquote NFL experts. And, and I think that they have been underdrafted in in you know, years past. And I think the same thing's going to happen this year as well. And I'm sure we're going to get into this in, in today's podcast, but, um, you know, I think that there's going to be a couple of players from this defense in 2020 that are not going to get drafted. And, and I think that they deserve a much better look. And that's me speaking as a, a football purist and a football fan, removing myself from any sort of Northwestern bias. I, I'm guessing you might be speaking about Patty Fisher and uh, Blake Gallagher, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, it's more Gallagher than it is Fisher because Fisher certainly has received the the pub and the hype from a lot of the major networks. But I've said this all along. I think Blake Gallagher might be the most underappreciated player nationally in Northwestern history. 
the guy to me is is more of a pure linebacker in terms of tackling ability, in terms of you know playing on the inside, playing in the box, and and going nose to nose. And it's not to sell Patty short. The guy is a, a clear talent, and I think that he's got a great football mind, and I think that's going to translate for him maybe getting a better opportunity or more of an opportunity than Blake. But I just I hated to see Gallagher not get the the credit that he deserved last year and certainly this year from people who pick award winners, not that they have a lot of credibility sometimes, but I think the same goes for like NFL scouts. And and I'm hoping for for both Blake and Patty's sake that they do get a chance and they they do have that opportunity to to showcase that on the field and not just, you know, show it on a piece of paper or have one pro day to where, um, you know, that's not really a, a grand scope of, of the talent that they provide. I think Gallagher is, it's, you're right. He's a perfect thing. And of course, because Patty has been such a known entity for so long, right? It's like the moment he stepped on the field, he was such a, a big thing at Northwestern that the Fitz comps have always been there. Where really right. I think the, the more accurate Fitz comps are, are, you know, fit with Blake Gallagher. And it's funny, you know, we talked about, like you were saying with the, the idea of, you know, a certain type of guy and a certain type of guy who shows out on the field and, and Fitz looking to recruit those guys. Well, I mean, Fitz was that guy. I mean, I, you know, we find it hilarious that those Rose Bowl years, when you look at the drafts that, that those players ultimately featured in, that you have players featured in rounds two, three, four, five, six, and seven in the draft, none of whom include one of the greatest football players of the entire 1990s. He's not a part of any of those groups. And yeah, just, just two time uh, national defensive player of the year, but uh, yeah, it's okay. You don't need- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right. And I think Blake, of course, this is a guy who he's, he's been tops every place he's been, right? I mean, but he's not from a Texas. He's from Massachusetts. Right. But he was about the best player in the state coming out um, yeah. and and comes to Northwestern. He's a phenomenal player, but you're right. He's 6'1". He doesn't run track. I mean, it's, you know, track speed. I think it's funny. We were kind of lamenting the, the weird way that Patty's stock has kind of fallen, but I am kind of of the opinion that I think at the end of the day, Patty is going to sneak into the draft, but it will be for those reasons that you kind of alluded where it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, yes, speed may not be tipped up, but his, you know, his physical measurables are, I mean, he's absolutely massive. And I think he looks the part of an NFL um, linebacker. I'm curious if there are any other guys, you know, again, we looked to to Blake and, and Patty right away. Um, are there any other guys who, you know, in this group, you kind of have your eye on from that same kind of reason, the kind of guy who, who, you know, he needs to be given a chance, but if he is given a chance, you can see it at the next level for him. Really? The only one that I can think of that would have a, a legitimate chance would be Ernest Brown. And that's mainly because, I mean, he, he certainly has the size, he's got the long arms, he can create pressure on a quarterback for for various reasons, he never really materialized at NU like fans obviously wanted him to. A big steal getting him over the Buckeyes, but uh, he's somebody who who could emerge. You know, does he get taken late? Late? He might. I think he's more somebody who might get invited onto uh, a roster and and give it given a chance to show up. But I, I, I like his athletic ability, and again, his size and his measurables are going to give him that chance. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know that I see anybody else. I, I've heard that Gunnar Vogel is another one that uh, people are taking a look at, and that's mainly because 
in the NFL, you can't have too many backup offensive linemen. And so he could be somebody along the lines of a Blake Hance, although I, I personally uh, think that he's better than Blake Hance. Uh, but if, if Blake got that shot, I, I don't see why Gunner wouldn't get a look along the same lines. I made the, like, I was, the same I was, comment. For, this, is, this is so eerie. Yeah. <laughs> verbatim comment from me before we got on, on the phone tonight, because um, I was nice. thinking the same thing about Gunner. Uh, I, it, it is interesting that like even just organically you made that comment right about like well i you know look at the blake hand story which got a lot of pub you know late in the year last year and does that mean yeah. a guy like gunner has a chance it's it's so clear that as much as the nfl prides itself on being this you know hardcore you know cut a player when they're no longer contributing like we have eva- like we're a value like look at the combine we break these guys down to the bare bones numbers reputation and the school you go to still matters immensely. Yep. And it's interesting thinking about Ernest Brown. If the green Bay Packers have, have a pick late in the draft. Yeah. And they're looking for a defensive lineman. You bet your ass are going to look at Ernest Brown because they've got experience working with guys at a Northwestern and and it speaks to a player's coachability, their understanding of, of certain aspects of the game and how, you know, broadly they've been, they've been trained and taught versus only being able to operate in a particular type of scheme or lexicon, et cetera. And it is, I mean, that's one of the things that is really striking thinking about the talent on that 95 team. I mean, there's no doubt that some of the top end talent that we've got at Northwestern now is, is, is probably higher, but that, you know, that, that team probably got short shrift because it was Northwestern. And, and obviously to your point, which was well-made Tim, like that's, that is continued, right? <laughs> like there right. are many, many examples of guys that, that maybe could have gotten a shot at the same time. There's, you know, we've, we've almost buried the lead here in talking about Northwestern in the draft. Historically, are there any the, other guys? Wait, are there any other guys? Well, I like <laughs> John, you did a, you did a great job teeing this up on Twitter, Twitter earlier today. There are six players in Northwestern's history that have been drafted in, in, in the first round. And to we're talking fair, about, to be fair, I think it's eight. I mentioned six. Um, okay. Yes. All right. Well, but still like we're talking about two guys in 2020, uh, 2021 off this 2020 team, greater Sean Slater opted out. Like I, I, I get that there's some weirdness there, but still two guys from Northwestern that could very well be drafted in, in the first round. And that seems like a, I don't know, like a, like a quantum leap for this program in terms of what they can tell to other players and parents and aspiring football guys about what can happen in, in Evanston. Yeah, and, and I think Greg Newsom is a perfect example of that. I mean, with Rashawn Slater, the position that he plays and and given his pedigree and, and his athletic lineage in his, you know, with his dad, Reggie, I think that that's maybe a little bit more understandable. But Greg Newsom was somebody who nobody that I knew of was even mentioning him in a breath of even getting drafted, or if so, maybe it was going to be late round because of the fact that he had a pretty good uh, injury-shortened um, sophomore year, but he led the Big Ten in pass breakups. And then he has that phenomenal year this year. And what I love about Newsom is the fact that um, people are still selling him short and and he's going about it with kind of that quiet confidence. And if you if you follow his Twitter responses, it's kind of that shush emoji and kind of like, okay, let him sleep, let him sleep. But he keeps creeping and creeping and creeping. And that is really parallel to the type of defensive player that he is you know he's just gonna he's gonna be there and he's not gonna go away and uh at the end of the play um he wins 
and others who you maybe expected to uh, come out on top didn't. And a perfect example is David Bell against Purdue last year. You know, um, so I I'm really intrigued to see how Newsom will fit and where he'll fit in. And it, I have no it, it doubt seems, he'll it, succeed. It seems like some teams know. And some teams just don't. Or yeah. well, let me let me rephrase. It seems like some mock drafters know, and and probably they're the ones that are talking to teams that are hearing the teams say that they're like that they're thinking about Newsom of how he would fit in their scheme. Obviously, different teams at different schemes, right? right. Um, but it 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 seems like there are some mock drafters that really understand this process and are giving Greg Newsom his due and others that are going to be like, Whoa, how'd this guy go first round on draft night? It's like, well, come on, if you've done your homework, right. um, but I, like, that, that, that is a great example. It's, it, it's interesting because Slater of course is now being talked about as possibly the best, possibly the top LT. I think, I think Sewell out of, out of Oregon has got more, um, more backers at this standpoint, but there's, there's a debate and that's just, it's a fascinating place to see Northwestern in that conversation in, you know, we, we haven't been in the conversation for a big time left tackle since Zach Streif. So even yeah. though the, the position fits more of what you would think about, you know, Northwestern in terms of being able to recruit and develop, et cetera, it feels like, and I guess I'm, I'm also, you know, biased by what we've seen on the field and what we know about the coaching, like Northwestern appears to be having a revival at offensive line. That is that we haven't yeah. seen since the early Walker years. And it's really damn exciting. Yeah, it is. Well, and to speak on Slater, I think if you want to see his value, look at, I hate to go back, but look at uh, the offensive numbers or lack thereof in 2019. And uh, as low as they were, Slater was was near flawless. And case in point was the, the Ohio State game against Chase Young, which I know you guys have talked about, which I know uh, has been brought up a lot. That's the tape to look to. But um, the dude was just spot on in, in protecting the quarterback, which um, you know, they were under a lot of duress, all five of them in 2019, but, but Slater was, was solid in that. Yeah. It's, it's funny to, I think, again, we keep coming back to a couple of different themes, you know, that we like to talk about when we have guests on, but I think that you can speak to as well as anybody, which is the idea of like the, the Northwestern brand and then like putting things in context and things like that. And I think we're super interested from the fact that, I mean, you mentioned that you, that you, um, live in Michigan, but you grew up in Texas. So yeah. you're talking football, you know, football country. I mean, where North, I mean, Rashawn Slater's from Texas. Like we mine yeah. guys at Patty Fisher from Texas. Um, and I think, you know, talking that you can look at a guy, um, you know, talking about the idea of the brand. Right. And I know that some guys, you know, some guys get drafted, some guys don't, but for example, a guy like Rob Johnson, right. It's, it's hard for me to imagine. And granted, we were talking about it, and I don't think like uh, Brandon Vitable was was drafted. But we're, you look at a guy like Rob Johnson, you say, you know, in today's day and age, does a guy who's a four year starter for a Big Ten championship Northwestern team in, in today, you know, who's like thought of as one of the top linemen, you know, um, yeah. in that school's history, that guy really doesn't get drafted. You know what I mean? It's like right. there's that there's that perspective. But I think. You know, we're curious, again, as someone who has kind of always come to Northwestern fandom, you know, from the outside. And I mean, I say outside relatively because, you know, you know, you're talking Minnesota boy, Colorado boy, New Hampshire boy here. Like we all came from the outside. But um, you're you know, you're in Michigan country. You grew up in Texas country. 
how do you see in conversations or anecdotally or, you know, in your world, um, how do you see the Northwestern brand changing in terms of the way it's, it's perceived over time? I definitely see it changing and it's mainly because of the number of double digit wins that Northwestern is earning now. And the fact that, I mean, it's ad nauseum. People talk about how up in the air the West is, but uh, two West titles in three years when you've got Wisconsin, who's perennially at the top, you've got uh, Minnesota who, you know, people, like what's going on under Fleck, and they had that nice season in 2019. So, but some people like what they're doing under Fleck. Well, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll underline that. Um, but you know, the fact—I mean, it, I, the consistency is what's starting to change the mindset of of people looking at Northwestern from the outside, and 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 fortunately, they're starting to get known, at least in in my uh, region in in Michigan here locally. Uh, they're they're getting seen as an athletic school, not just for football, but for a lot of the other things as well. And so that that old school, well, they're like an Ivy League school. It's, it's just a bunch of smart people and and others who can't play athletics. Um, I think that is starting to change. And you know, kudos to the athletic department, and and obviously Fitzy is a big part of that uh, because everybody there is invested in wanting to be known as this universal. Uh, institution that can deliver academically, athletically. And I love the fact when Northwestern people will put out their, their graduation rate and basically throw it in people's faces as they should, because if we want to talk about student athletes, which they still should be, and I understand the whole business argument and um, how commercial the NCAA has gotten, going back to the core, which is, is what, you know, we really should look at it. It's, it's, students who are performing athletically and, and that's a great appeal about Northwestern and a great rec recruiting pitch is the fact that um, you're set athletically, but you're also set for life. And I, I think it's, it's, it's awesome that that uh, image is being changed for the better for Northwestern. I think I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, because again, so much of this was built up over time, but I feel like there is that uncharted ground and to your point, right, perception, right, 10-win seasons. And that's a great point that you make because there is something about a 10-win season and seeing them stack up in wins and losses over something where, like, where people are looking at something and you just jump in and be like, oh, wait a minute, Northwestern's stacking up 10-win years here. Um, and in some ways, that that number 10 is almost even even more powerful yeah. um, to, a, to an outlier than even, like, seeing, like, a West champion. Um, I'm... I'll be curious to see if, and furiously knocking wood, knock, 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 <laughs> if we put two cats in the first round, yeah. um, what the ultimate um, end effect will that be? And obviously Slater's going to go really high, but I think, and, and, and you mentioned Newsom is, um, he's someone who I think to a lot of people, you know, was a late bloomer. Of course, well, I mean, late bloomer, relatively speaking, he'll tell you, look, I've been on under respected forever. I've been putting in the work and he's absolutely right. Um, but taking the three stars out of it and evaluating it, this guy, this kid is, I mean, as sexy as tape can be, he has that tape. 
yeah. the kind of tape where you look and you're like, oh, he's just faster and better than everybody else. And, 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 then, looks... he, and then he had the, his pro day where he just blazed right. that 40. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then it's like, oh, okay, this kid was a big-time player, went to IMG Academy, came to Northwestern, was a star, look how fast he is, look how awesome he is, and now he's going to the NFL. And being like, yeah, we'll prepare you for the rest of your life, but we'll take that we'll, – we'll also – we'll prepare – that guy also to be like, yeah. we're going to prepare you for the rest of your life up to and including a long NFL career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is. And again, it's it's to to go back. I mean, I I look at again. Yeah. Like a guy like, you you know, you pointed out, I mean, multiple stories. I mean, you talk about your Darnell Autry story coming back to a Rob Johnson. I just think in today's day and age, even where the brand is now, but where the brand's going, I just I don't know that a guy like Rob Johnson does not get drafted. It just doesn't compute to me. But again, uh, to your point, I, I, I guess I, I don't necessarily have a, a lead here, but I'm just thinking, you know, maybe it kind of shows the kind of things you illustrated of, of where the program was even back then and what was evolving, you know, and where it's gone since then. Yeah. And, and to that point, sadly, I don't think that even a four-year starter like Johnson was, I think even in today's NFL, I'm not sure that he gets drafted just because of the fact of, you know, what the the measurables are. I mean, he wasn't the tallest guy, maybe didn't put up the best bench, would not have had the best pro day. So, and I think that's a disservice to him because if you're a four-year starter at center, which in my opinion is the most important position on the offense, hands down, if you start for four years at a Power 5 program, that's saying something. So regardless of how much you can bench relative to others, regardless of what your shuttle time is or your 40 time is compared to others at your position, that's saying a lot. So um, I wish it were the other way, but I don't know that that happens. But, you know, going back to recent drafts and, and talking about, you know, how the Northwestern brand has changed, I mean, you look at the staying power. So I don't know that it's so much – that Northwestern can point to and say, well, we had these players drafted in the first or second rounds, but look at guys like Justin Jackson, Anthony Walker, Ifadi Adenabo, Dean Lowry, and even guys who uh, maybe weren't drafted like Tyler Lancaster. And you could say they've been solid fixtures in the league for uh, you know three plus years. And that's saying something in today's NFL. So I think that that's really going to be the thing that is continually going to change and improve recruiting for Northwestern is the fact that they say, we're now we are developing guys, whereas we had the rap of they might get drafted, but we don't develop and they don't stay in the league. But we're seeing those guys have uh, significant contributions in uh, in a very limited uh, talent pool. I think I think it's interesting. You know, you, you see in the in the stadium every week they run through all the all the Northwestern players and the pros in the press guide every week. They run through all of the all the guys playing in the NFL like. That's something that they're really starting to lean on more and more, and I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I sure. think they've they've recognized that that's like the critical piece, right, to elevate this program to the yep. next level is 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 to break down those um, preconceived notions. Yeah, and I think bringing in an NFL guy like Jim O'Neill is certainly going to uh, aid that even more. And um, I think that that's going to give a little bit of boost to recruiting as well. And 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 now we've got kind of that extra pipeline in. And then you know with Cody Seda going out to San or to Los Angeles, um, you know they're kind of just that Northwestern purple is being infused into the veins of of the NFL landscape, and it's it's great to see. 
I think you talk about I, I totally agree with everything you say about Rob Johnson. And, you know, it's it's true. And then, like, there is something to be said for Rashawn Slater shoving the strength coach and then squatting <laughs> every plate in the weight room yeah. three times. Uh. Um, and, yes, he, he brings that to the table. On the other hand, and no shots but shots. On the other hand. Pete Werner and probably Tuff Borland are both going to get drafted in this NFL draft. And yeah, those guys crazy. were both first team all big ten. That's happening because they were the Scarlet and Gray. I'm yep. sorry. That's why it's happening. Yep. I We've watched those guys for like three years. Um, and there was even a thing going around where like a lot of Borland's pre-draft measurables have just been like almost like shockingly poor. And we're like, yeah, I like it's it's on the tape. Like we're like – they wear it's like well yeah but he starts for Ohio State yeah but that's because you're drinking the Kool Aid like and I but again it's like great uh, let's let's get our brand to that place and then all of our guys can get drafted too because you know you look back and and again I know like you can draw like a Brian Musso a comparison and be like well okay like a Flynn Nagel didn't get drafted too et cetera and it's like okay hey but I mean Flynn Nagel Nagel spent a lot of time in Giants camp you know so it's like. Maybe a guy like that should have been drafted. Um, right. So, yeah, but I mean, it's it is you you want to see the we want to see it keep going on and up and upward, like you said, right, Cody Sager. But I mean, heck, Mike Kafka, right? I mean, it's like yeah. the, these these the the brand uh, continues to to rise and rise, and hopefully, we reap the benefits. That's right. Well, I, I don't want to keep you all night, and we definitely appreciate your time. Um, where where can people find your book? So you can go to Amazon and it's uh, it's available in hard or not hardcover but uh, paperback but it's also available in ebook. So whatever is is to people's delight. It's uh, you know I've, I've been told that it's a very easy read and obviously the 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 majority of your audience are Northwestern people who are looking for that that snort as you guys talked about. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's there and. Um, you know, I, I can I can assure you that it's going to be something that's going to be hard to put down, and um, you know, really looking forward to hearing uh, some more testimonials of just uh, not not about like how good the book is, but just like what memories it brought back, or you know how it might uh, tie into to some of the things that we're seeing today. So yeah, you can find it on Amazon, and um, you know, I encourage you to. I just did it, folks. It's, it's Prime shipping. It's free. Get it. Let's go. Seriously. I mean, like, you all have these books all stacked on your shelf. How do you not have this one already? Add it to the collection. Um, and, yeah, again, it's like none of us – we're all degenerate Northwestern fans. Like, we're <laughs> – like, we're like this is one more thing for us to consume and, and feel good about Northwestern football. So, yeah, awesome. Thanks for doing it. And, and again, thanks for, thanks for writing the book, but thanks for all the awesome writing you do on Rivals, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's great, and it's – this is again, we, we talk with Jay Sharman. All of us can remember when it was Jay and just Jay. And that yep. was the entire deal. And now, you know, we have Louie, we have you, we have us, we have all of these um, these different things outside. So, again, thanks so much for for being a part of it and, and contributing to the community so effectively. Absolutely. love doing it. And again, you guys keep up the good work you're doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll cross paths again here real soon. Absolutely. Can't wait. Uh, that's Tim Chapman. Uh, Champion Underdog is the book. Uh, 
awesome stuff. You know, it's it really is a, a fantastic read. It reads very quickly and is just chock full of awesome stuff. So cannot recommend it enough. Uh, checking it out. We'll put a link to the Amazon page on our website as well. Uh, so feel free to check that out. Uh, before we get out of here, a um, few news and notes uh, to mention. We're talking about the draft. Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about another draft happening on Thursday, the WNBA draft, where uh, we hope to hear Lindsey Pulliam's name drafted, hopefully by the Chicago Sky. But honestly, wherever she goes, I it's going to be awesome. I just know I've seen those sweet Chicago Sky alternate rebel uniforms that they've okay. put out. I big up like the I w, love these new WNBA uniforms are sharp. I mean, across the board, they are really, really cool. Right. I'm like, well, first of all, if if the Indiana Fever draft yeah. Lindsay Pulliam, <laughs> I draft I buy that Stranger Things jersey within five <laughs> seconds of it. I happening. was just gonna say that thing is so sweet. Yeah. But with that said, the, the broken glass, or I, I think it's like broken glass ceiling jersey that the Chicago Sky have is awesome. And Chicago Sky, all you got to do is put polium right on the back of that jersey, and I am 100% in. So, yeah, let's make that happen. Um, but again, Lindsay's is, is going to get drafted. We know that. We know she is a first-round WNBA caliber player. Um, most of the mocks have that happening. Uh, let's see it happen. Let's see her start earning money to play basketball. But uh, yes, give us give us that Chicago sky, and we can all go out and buy that jersey. Well, I just in clarification. I think a lot of the mocks have her close to the top of the second round. Um, that's where I'm seeing ESPN has got her slated going to the sky at 16 overall. Um, but what you know, we'll just we'll we'll have to see. But like, she's clearly recognize she's she's totally going to get picked she's going to end up somewhere and it's going to be pretty exciting to see what she can do there right it's so funny i get so turned around because we get so thinking about nfl teams that it's like no the wnba does not have 32 teams but uh but right there are but with that said right she's absolutely you know like projected to get a, a spot and uh yeah let it let it be one of these sweet unis because we're buying it <laughs> Uh, some football news on the recruiting front. Uh, we have our second uh, commit uh, just announced uh, tonight as we record on Wednesday evening. Chris Petrucci, uh, hopefully that's how we pronounce his name. We'll, we'll be checking in on that. Uh, tight end from Maine South. Uh, got his offer yesterday and made, it, made his decision very, very quickly. Uh, you could tell he was a guy who was very excited to get that Northwestern offer and jumped on it pretty much immediately. So I have a couple thoughts on this one. Um, there, so one, if you've been following Northwestern recruiting news, um, you know, we were just talking Tim Chapman again from the rivals empire to which he is a contributor, but you know, that the rivals empire that Louisville care presides over, right. Um, you know, that, um, Scuzz, um Northwestern offered a tight end from your neck of the woods, um, Josh Caddis from Cincinnati Moeller this week. And your brain kind of immediately jumps to, okay, so Northwestern's putting a couple out and being like, first come, first serve. There's only one spot. Who's going to get it, right? And Petrucci pulls the trigger. Except then you look at Petrucci and you look at his film and you start to fill in the pieces potentially 
of how a guy who rivals does not have rated as a tight end can have offers from Iowa, Tennessee, Kentucky, Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue. He's a quote-unquote tight end. He's 6'5", 205 pounds with a 35-inch vertical and played split wide as much as he played inside. He looks like Ben Skoranek. And I wouldn't hold on with both hands to that tight end designation because especially, you know, look at the NFL. Look at a Travis Kelsey, and you can see kind of where the game is going. Um, well, what's, what's, what's funny is this is the exact conversation that um, – what I would call like smart football people are having about Kyle Pitts, right? Who's, who's listed right. as a tight end going into the draft, but lined up out wide way more snaps this past year with Florida than he did like in a traditional tight end spot. So um, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting when you call that, it makes you wonder if they might, you know, like just for comparison, right? So Petrucci is, is listed at six, five, 205 pounds. Um, Caddis, who you mentioned, is listed at 6'4", 245. So, I mean, right there, like, that's that's a significantly different right, body. I Right. Like, it th- that doesn't feel like two guys competing for one spot. This feels like um, he's, right, like, this guy, like, Chris Petrucci's comps are, like, Ben Skoranek, Kyle Prater. That's how he's built. I'm not saying he's not going to gain 50 more pounds and be 6'5", 260 tight end. I don't know. But, um this guy looks like a matchup nightmare split out wide. And and we'll see. But, I mean, it's he is a, a big-time, you know, he's a big-time player. And can, I, can I tell you something funny? Just like, and I apologize for our listeners because I don't know how entertaining this will be, but um, John, John wrote the tweet suggesting that uh, Petrucci reminds us of, of Skronik. And I as I read it in my timeline, I read Skronsky. <laughs> and I was thinking, wait, what? He's gonna put on a hundred pounds and become a left tackle, and then like it, it only took me about you know twelve seconds to realize my error. But well, um, well of course, it was a weird twelve seconds. Well, of course, the side, the side humor to that joke is they are friends. They yes. are former teammates, and, right? And suddenly, uh, Matt Alvidi, Chris Petrucci, and Man Bear Pete. Uh, we are deep in the main South streets all of a sudden. And keep in mind, all of us, and probably a lot of you, can remember back to that year, way back when, uh, I'm going to say 20-ish years ago, maybe just after, where Northwestern signed a class that didn't have a single player from the state of Illinois. Um, we can remember back to some of those days. And um, and now, you know, the Maine South is a powerhouse program um, with big-time players and we have a vice grip on those guys right now. And that's the way that it should be. So um, yeah, this is awesome. It's you could, I would say this again, call him a tight end. If you want to, I'm going to say Northwestern's first two signees are massive ass kicking wide receivers. That's the way that I choose to believe it. Uh, We'll put those two guys opposite you and don't be the cornerback who stands in their way. That's how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to look at it. (laughs) And well, don't forget. I mean, like, this is the type of player Petrucci I'm saying that like is the, the prototypical fit for uh, what Bajakian likes to do. Right. Right. These, these tweener guys knife. that can play inside, play outside, can cause matchup problems, can, you know, be multiple. Like this is exactly what you would expect a Bajakian led offense to, to be thinking about. 
A couple quick uh, men's basketball transfer news. Uh, Anthony Gaines uh, announced that he is transferring to Siena. Uh, Basically, he's going home. I mean, he's from upstate New York. uh, So this just makes a ton of sense for him. Um, Also, on the other side, we actually have a transfer coming in. Uh, Fairley Dickinson's Elijah Williams uh, is coming in. Uh, He's 6'7", kind of inside defensive presence, but apparently can shoot from outside. And, you know, if you match him up, um, the guys over at inside and you think he could be a, a somewhat of a cop to a Miller cop. Yeah. Just like starting with gains, I think um, our perspective on Chris Collins and the Chris Collins era is well, well established at this, at this point. Um, that being said, you know, I think the gains transfer makes so much sense, much like many of the transfers we saw from the football program after the season in the fall. It's been a batshit year. He's getting close to home. His, his family probably hasn't been able to see him play very much, if at all, this year. He has graduated. Uh, he actually made a really big deal about that on social media when he got his degree, just how excited he was, how proud he was. And this is, you know... It, it's a bummer that, that we won't see him wearing purple at Northwestern next year and, and locking down other other players in the Big Ten. But this is, by all accounts, I, you know, I haven't talked to him. We haven't talked to him. But by all accounts, this is awesome for Anthony Gaines, and um, I'm excited for him. I ho- and frankly, I hope he gets back to the tourney with, with Sienna, uh, who, who does that on the reg. It's what's funny, too, because Sienna is, um, like you said, like they're, they're a strong team, but they're a strong team in a small conference. He will be an unbelievable defensive basketball player in that conference. Uh, he is your early front runner for defensive player of the year in that conference. Um, that's what he does, and um, he did it at an extremely high level in the Big Ten, and he's going to do it in that conference for sure. Um, in terms of Williams, it's funny. Um, he's he's large. He is six seven and built. Um, he's big. I mean, I you know I was thinking if you're looking for a comp kind of a, a almost a bigger Sanjay Lumpkin is kind of where I would look on yeah, the other I think hand. He's, he doesn't look at all like Miller cop to me. Yeah. On the other hand, um, he at fairly Dickinson, he was at once one of the largest players and not really a post player because they never really had the size to do that. So they played a lot of kind of five out kind of stuff. And he spent a lot of time out at the perimeter. We tweeted out a, a, um, a video you can watch him pick someone's pocket out at the perimeter um, from a gift that we posted a couple of days ago um, and go coast to coast for a reverse jam. And, you know, we were kind of like, I mean, you look at that video and you, and you can also look at videos. I mean, you can watch him crash the glass um, for points against Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Um, it's, he is a quality basketball player. This is by no means scraps or by no means someone who doesn't belong. He is large, can throw his body around, and can shoot threes. And and you know, going with the uh, going home theory, he's an Evanston native. Went to ETHS. Right. That, exactly. Like the way we should look at it is just be thankful that's where he went because we need some bodies <laughs> and this is a guy who can guard multiple positions can shoot threes and thank god someone wants to come to this team to transfer in right now so um yeah i i would say take we should all take this win and not look back uh, anything else to mention before we get out of here today guys i'll just throw out um 
it was a really tough weekend for the women's softball team getting swept in four games by Minnesota. Uh, two of those games going to extra innings. Um, another one of those games being really, really tight until late. It just like an absolute gut punch. Um, losing first place in in the Big Ten standings, but um, something kind of cool. So Sydney Suple, uh, who, who plays on that team, has been writing for Inside NU all year, kind of blogging about, you know, uh, the, the first-person narrative of, of, of an athlete and had just a, like, a make you, like, make you want to get up and run through a brick wall post today about, you know, what that felt like and the, you know, as, as teammates looking at each other and, and, and saying, like, flush this, like, let's, let's go. We're going to Iowa. We've, you know we didn't perform up to our standard this weekend, but that doesn't mean that we're done, that we're out. Like we're, you know, we're hungry and we're ready to go and, and, you know, to set the record straight. So I just, it was just kind of an interesting, um, it got me all fired up again uh, about that team, which is, which is super good. And, and like I said, it was a, a close hard fought series against, against the Gophers. Um, and one that I know Northwestern wishes they had back. So uh, they've got, the season is still young. There's a long, long way to go. They haven't played Michigan yet, who's who's maybe the best team in the Big Ten, but um, still, still plenty to happen on the diamond. And then you've got, you know, Lax, you know, again mopping the floor with Ohio State. They've got a game against Michigan, I believe, next week is their final regular season tilt uh, before postseason stuff. So we'll see what happens there. But um, still a lot of exciting things happening here in the spring. Uh, to follow over, over the coming weeks. And uh, in our lead up to the NFL draft, we'll be back next week. Uh, we hope to have another special guest. Uh, we'll just kind of tease that there and, and see what happens as we get into next week. But uh, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled and your ears tuned to uh, to the show. Uh, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast app. Um, and we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. You can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousbar, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.